you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. The Chris Voss Show. Com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to see the video version of this. You can go to youtube.com, fortunate Chris Voss. Hit that bell notification button. You can check out all the wonderful interviews. We have these brilliant authors right now, and this is a great time to expand your mind as well. Uh, we have a great author on today with a forthcoming book that's uh, really topical, actually, for some of the discussions that everyone's having today, and probably always will be, actually, when it comes down to it. Uh, so this uh, uh, also go to goodreads.com for slash Chris Voss. You can uh, follow me over on Goodreads. You can see my reviews that are over on there, discussions, books. We actually have a book uh, club that we're setting up over there as well. So we should check that out. Tell your friends to go to thecvpn.com and subscribe to all nine podcasts. Uh, they can also go to amazon.com for slash shop. Chris Foss. You can click on all the books of all the people that have been on the Chris Foss show, order their books, uh, expand your brain, and all that good stuff. And this episode is brought to you by IFI Audio and their new Neo IDSD. The Neo is the new wave of digital sound listening for your desktop, music, gaming, and bleeding-edge Bluetooth, even MQA audio file decoding. Uh, we're using it in the studio right now. I've loved my experience with it so far. It just makes everything sound so much more richer and better and takes things to the next level. IFI Audio is an award-winning audio tech company with one aim in mind, to improve your music enjoyment of quality sound, eradicate noise, distortion, and hiss from your listening experience. Check out their new incredible lineup of DACs and audio enhancement devices at ifi-audio.com. Today, we have a most interesting guest on the show. His name is Fred Dust. His book that's coming out, this is going to be coming out in December 1, 2020. It's available for pre-sale right now. Uh, it's called Making Conversation, Seven Essential Elements of Meaningful communication and this will be pretty interesting he works at the intersection of business society and creativity as a designer author educator consultant trustee and advisor to social and business leaders he's one of the world's most original thinkers applying the craft and optimism of human-centered design to the intractable challenges we face today Using the mythology of his forthcoming book, Making Conversation, he has been working with the Rockefeller Foundation to look at the future of global dialogue and the Einhorn Family Fund and other foundations to host constructive dialogue with leaders. Uh, welcome to the show. How are you, Fred? I'm pretty good, actually. It's like surprisingly good. I'm better, better than I should be. And by the way, well, I, haven't been my bio, I haven't read my bio in a long time, and it, it sounds a little arrogant. I apologize. <laughs> no, you know what? All bios kind of sound, I mean, it sounds like you're talking about yourself, which is good. But to me, it's important. Uh, the audience gets a chance to go, well, who is this guy and why should we listen to him? So I think it's always yeah. awesome. That's what all right. Okay. We're, we're the most original. Thinker. I'll try it. <laughs> People have to listen to my crap all the time, but honestly, they're just relieved because they're 
like, oh God, cool. We can listen to somebody else, but Chris all the time because you know they have to. <laughs> That's why we always improv the beginning and the end is is uh, is to kind of spice it up, give it some flavor. I'm right so, there with you, Matt. That's awesome. There you go. So Fred, uh, uh, give us your plugs so people can find you on the interwebs. Yeah, I think I think there's like there's two really important things, which is go to makingconversation.com um, where you can find out more about me, but you can also order the book um, or pre-order the book um, or really go to amazon.com and pre-order the book. I will say like buying books now matters more than ever. Um, so it's like, it, I, like just like, even if it's not going to come till December, just do it because um, it's a great Christmas present. It'll, it'll help you help you do stuff at home that you need to do after a hard, hard year. So there you go. Christmas pre 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 Christmas planning. There you go. That's very smart. There you go. It's like um, you're going to be doing making a lot of conversations. So get that, get that shopping in early. So you don't have to deal with it because I mean, for all we know, we probably won't be able to go to the mall over COVID. I, I, <laughs> so I, think, that's, I think that's right. So don't get so by, by 20. It's like, yeah, there you go. Yeah, by 20. There you go. Uh, so the book title, Making Conversation, what motivated you want to write this book? Well, I mean, first, just the title. I, I think that the general principle behind the book is that it's like one of the most important things we can create is our conversations. And we, we, haven't, we haven't really thought about conversations that are things that we can actually, we can apply creativity to. And so the book's the premise is how do we have the world's hardest conversations or your hardest conversations um, in, in, in uh, uh, using creativity. I'll, there's a lot of different origins, but I'll tell you really what I think was the, 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 the real origin for me is back in 2016, 2017, 2016, I was working with Vivek Murthy, um, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. So he, he, he was, he was um, an amazing Surgeon General. He was about to issue an epic uh, epidemic of um, anxiety and isolation in America um, because he really believed that's what led to opioids. It led to gun crisis. It led to a bunch of things. I was working alongside of him, kind of creating new conversations that could allow people to kind of break through like this kind of this, this, this isolation. And then one day I basically emailed him and, um, and he had been fired. Like basically I got a bounce back because Trump, Trump suddenly realized that there was a surgeon general that he didn't really want. Um, oh. And it turns out that he wrote a book proposal that was about isolation at the same time that I wrote a book on how you can actually cure isolation through kind of being creative about conversations and have the hardest conversations of your life. And so I think in a way our books are, his was like kind of like a call for help and I'm mm -hmm. sort of like a here, here's a response. So that's one of the many origin stories, Chris. So what's but, the uh, <laughs> overall crux to the book and then we'll get into it. So it's basically that, um, there's a couple things. One is that you think we, we, we take it for granted. We can't have hard conversations. And yet, if you look at the history of our conver of conversations, we've had hard conversations historically for thousands and thousands of years. And so we have historical examples of where we've gotten through hard conversations. Like I'll tell you a story later about Abraham Lincoln and how he ended duels. Um, but like, but the reality is if you go look back at historical examples, if you look at create creati creativity and like you look at directors and filmmakers and, and whatever, you, know, you can unlock new methods to have the hardest conversations that you want, whether it's a mother having a conversation with her daughter about anorexia at the dining room table, whether it's a, um, a, 
you know, whether it's a hard business conversation, whether it's having, how do you have conversations with your Trump or Biden voting neighbor? Um, <laughs> and, you know, which was, which, and I, I'm just being super non-political there. I'm just saying like both of them. Like, yeah, it's hard conversations to have these days. You, you, but you can do it. And so, um, so a lot of the work is really about how to kind of, how to kind of do that. And so weirdly, Chris, um, people are like, I talked to some people and they're like, are you psychic? Like, did you like, how did, how did you know that this was the time for this book? And I was just like, I don't know, maybe it's like, it's like, like I just, I, I just happened to have it, have it done. So. So give us a, give us a, uh, what's the, I mean, the foundation is making conversations. So you talk about uh, how people can, uh, you probably give people a bit of a toolkit in the book to uh, on how they can have conversations, maybe a foundation they can take a layer and approach, I guess. Yep. Maybe what I can do is I'll, I'll run through like really high level and just do like a one sentence on every one of the, there's only seven chapters. Sure. Yeah. And then, and what you can do, Chris, is then if there's one that sounds really interesting to you, you can ask me and I can give you a little bit more depth. Yeah, of it. we'll just hit them all and expand on them. How okay, cool. So um, uh, the first chapter is commitment. And the premise here is that you, pe- you commit to people first and you hold your values second. So you commit to the conversation and the mm. people, and then you, you keep your values to the side, which is counterintuitive. So you're more interested in like, let's have a conversation it, now, let me ask you this. Do you have to get everyone to mutually agree to that in the conversation? Well, so remember um, that like that sometimes conversations happen in a day and sometimes conversations happen over 20 years. And so it's like, but, but this came up because I gave a lecture on this, on creating conversation or making conversation. And someone raised their hand and was like, well, what do I do when I can't, I have to talk to somebody who hates me because of my politics. Um, and I was, I was like, I was kind of like stumped, Chris. I was like, I don't know. And then I, and then I was like, oh, you need to commit to the person and say, I, I really, really am like, I'm there for you. And then like secondarily, like, like commit to your politics or whatever. But I will tell you, Chris, the last chapter, which is called create is like, if you can't talk, just make, right? So if, if you can't talk to your, you know, I'm making this up, Trump voting, father-in-law or, or, you know, whatever it is, um, then just sit down and build something with him. You know, it's like, it's like, or, or bake some bread with your, with your, with your mother, or, you know, it's like, it's like that will give you as much kind of a tight bond as if you were actually, you were talking. So I like, you set a foundation where you, where you communicate to the person that, that you want to have a, a conversation and that they're important to you, I guess. Yeah. And also there's another piece of this, which is like, I believe you can ask for the conversation you want to have. So mm. I'll, I'll give you an example. When I moved to New York, I don't live in New York. I live in rural, rural Maine right now, which by the way, feels like a pretty good place to be living. I'm pretty happy. <laughs> but it's like when I, when I lived in, I, I lived in Tribeca once um, and I remember moving in and moving is a pretty stressful thing. Right. And the first day, and I'm, I'm the sort of person who likes to unpack everything. And I, if, I get to the end of the day, I'm alone in the apartment with our dog and someone seems is pounding on the door. Um, my, my husband's not around. It's just me pounding on the door. And I open the door and there's a small older woman and she's my downstairs neighbor. And she just like screams at me. Like, she's just like, you've broken every building rule. Like, da, 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 da. Like, it's like, she's like, she's like, you, you know, you used my elevator and you're not allowed to use my elevator. I'm like, we didn't even use an elevator. It's like, we would we have people walk five stories up. But it's like, um, I basically... And I'm from California. So I'm like, my, my first inclination is just to be nice and be like, whatever, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, can I, can I, whatever. 
And then I was just like, I'm not going to show up like a wuss. I'm going to like, I'm just not going to do that. So I basically said, I was like, really calmly. I was like, is this really the way you want our relationship to start with this conversation? Mm -hmm. And she stopped and she said, no, it isn't. And like, we became really close friends. That's really brilliant actually. Yeah. And so honestly, like she saved us when we stupidly locked ourselves on the roof during Sandy. Um, it's like, it's like, she, she spent the night drinking champagne when the power went out. And so, um, I, you know, don't be afraid at some point to ask for the conversation you want to have. Like the honesty and the clarity of that of just saying, is this really how you want to start out? My dad used to do this thing where when people were angry at him, uh, you know, the, you know, they, usually didn't know him, you know, like in a a sense like you did. And he would just calmly say to him, he had a real calm way of putting it. It was real Dan Ratherish in his delivery. And and he would say to him, uh, he'd say, something must have happened or something, someone must have done something to make you this angry. And you're very upset with me. And I'm sure it doesn't have anything to do with me. What is it? And he'd, he'd put people in tears sometimes with that. Well, so I, I love that, you know, and it, it goes to how people talk to each other who are sitting on different kinds of political spectrums, right? Which is yeah. like, if, if you can't talk about now, talk about 12-year-old you, you know, it's yeah. like, like Chris, like, just out of curiosity, like, who were you at 12? Some stupid skinny kid. <laughs> <laughs> Not much has changed. I just put some more fat on the bones, but uh, other than that. I was still, a, I'm just a stupid fat kid nowadays. <laughs> Ask anyone who listens to the podcast, I'll tell you. Yeah. The, uh, that's, but, like, that's so interesting. Like, of, of course, like I was, I was like, I, contrary, I was, I was like this, this pretty not poor, pretty poor kid in a private school where my father was the headmaster and I was gay and wouldn't come out because my dad wouldn't let me. And I had to play sports and date the cheerleaders. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's just like, it's that humanizing thing where it's like, it's like, who were you at 12? Who was I at 12? Those are things you can talk about, even if you can't talk about other stuff. Yeah. So sometimes it's better just to gain rapport and get some traction that way. I mean, is the intent to in gain rapport to eventually have the conversation? That you... I, I think so. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, I'll give you a couple examples. Like, so um, I'm on the, I, and this, you'll see how like, it's, it's just how widespread this is. So um I used to live upstate New York and upstate New York, you have hunters. And by the way, they're hunters who carry guns, but they're not AK, AK-47s. These are yeah. people who, like, who hunt because that's what they've done for their entire life. And, and we have somebody who hunts our property that like hunts whatever. But so up here in Maine, everybody's freaked out by, by hunters. And like I had somebody hunting our property and he had a big Trump, um, you know, thing on, on his, on his, on his, on his, uh, um, his uh, truck. And I was like, well, you know, if I have to, if I'm talking to world leaders, I can definitely go talk to, talk to this Trump voting hunter who's bow hunting on my property. And I go up to his and his son, him and his son and I'm like, hey, what's your name? And he's like, Marshall. And I'm like, oh, so just curious, like, um, uh, we, we, we usually like people to ask if they're going to hunt our properties, but we're okay because you're out here. So let's just hunt for the next six hours or so if that's what you want to do. But bring us some venison if like, if, if, you, if you're shooting something. And we just got to chatting and then he's like, by the way, I'm not voting for Trump. And I was like, okay. (laughs) You didn't have to tell me. (laughs) And so, I mean, the reality is it's like, you know, in Maine, we, we actually, there's a lot of concern right now, but the people are like, um, you know, it's like, it's people are volunteering it. Can I tell you one more story, Chris? Yeah, you can. We're here for an hour or so. 
Yeah, so our, my, my Trump voting um, neighbor, who is a Trump voting neighbor, um, in, in, um, was also an EMT. And as an EMT, he was deployed to New York in the height of the pandemic. So people uh-huh. think that New York saved itself. New York did not save itself. Like the world, like we, like basically the whole country saved New York. Like the people were shipped from all over to make sure that New York survived. And so we started texting him um, and just were like, are you okay? Like did he, and he would text every night. And he came over and he sat on our lawn after he had basically um, come back from, from being out in New York for six weeks. And he basically just told us everything he saw, like yeah. all the horrible things one after another. And we just listened. And I realized that, um, I realized that he was doing it because he couldn't tell his, his um, wife and he couldn't tell his children. Right. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, it's like he, he had to make sure that they felt safe. And so in my mind, I'm like, we just did this guy's service that he really needed. And like, and hopefully that makes him feel like we're not bad people. And so anyway, that, I guess it's important, Chris, for us to be doing this now. It really so is. Is it about connecting on a human scale? <clears throat> That's exactly right. It's just like, it's like, you know, it's, I do this the same with like organizations that are dealing with diversity inclusion, which is like, it's like, you know, it's like, let's have a conversation. Like let's, let's humanize your white woman CEO for a moment. So let's ask her who she was at 12 and like, let's humanize like your, your black um, employees who, who, who feel victimized. And like, let's make sure that you guys not understand each other as humans first. Um, and that's, that's really the premise of, 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 of the book. But like I, I just, there's a couple other chapters. Can I give you, can I give you a couple? Let's other get ones? Into it, like, yeah. um, so the second chapter is creative listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea here is that, it's basically, I don't know if you know about this principle of active listening. It's like a, it's basically where you can what? nod and you say like, what? that's good. What? No, I'm just kidding. I'm- <laughs> exactly. It's, it, you're, you're doing that. That's exactly it. I think that sucks. Like, I think active listening is just like the worst. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. And so I basically <laughs> challenge people to be like, think about listening like you would listen to gossip or think about listening like you would listen in a Quaker church meeting or think about listening like, I think about my grandmother, my great grandmother, who told like amazingly short, like 30 second stories that stuck with you for like the rest of your life. And I'm like, I'm like, ask for a story that's 30 seconds and give them instructions on how to do that. And so, um, and like, I have a story from my grandmother that stuck with me. It was, she told me when I was like six and I I can remember it as vividly now as, as I can then. And it's like 20 second long story, 30 second long story. Mm-hmm. So, so do you think we really suck at listening? Because we're in this age where everyone's pretty narcissistic, and with social media, they're used to just blasting out their opinion to everybody, and no one really listens to each other. Um, oh, I mean, like beyond suck. I mean, it's like I mean, Chris, like it's like we're in a world where people don't say I'm not listening or I don't agree. They say I I don't agree. I'm not listening, and I, I hate you. Right. So it's like so it's like it's more important than ever that we really pay attention to the things that are being said. Um, and it's actually why I'll often ask people, like, tell me, tell me a short, you know, story about who you were. It's kind of like what your dad did, right, Chris? When he when he said, you know, there must have been something in your life that happened that made you angry. Like, do you want to talk about that? And that's like, that's a really important skill. Like, let me let me tell you my grandmother's story. Is that cool? Yeah, um, let's do it. So my grandmother, we used to sit on a chair on a on a swing on a swing on the back porch, and she once told me a story. She was a steel worker 
Um, she was a, one of the first women steel workers. She stayed a steel worker when women went back from into being homemaking after the war. She well, was a she was a foreman, so she worked all night in the steel mill, and then she was a farmer during the day, so she fed farm farm hands all day long. So she really this is a woman who didn't sleep. She's probably and really tough, huh? She was tough and amazing, and so she told me the story when I was a kid, which was that. One night she came home, one morning she came home and she had to get ready for feeding and she was so tired. Like she used to say just a few more days to tote the weary, weary load. Like that was her common saying. Um, and cause she was always like, just let me give up this yoke. I don't, it's like, it's, it's too tiring. Sounds like me the last four years. Yeah. It's, it, it sounds like a lot of us just the, the last, the last four years. And she basically said, um, so she said one day she was walking and then she saw something blue coming down through the sky and it came closer and closer and closer and closer and it was Jesus. And that gave her the energy to go forward the day. That's it. That's the story. So and Jesus her, is blue? <laughs> he was wearing a blue robe. It's like, so my oh. grandmother was very religious, but it's like. I didn't I, know I, Jesus I, was into blue. Oh yeah. Blue, 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 uh, um, blue robes. But so what's interesting good is like, Jesus, that sounds like a good no, color. Oh thing. God, there's some hot Jesuses. Like, it's like, I promise you. But so the, but the reality is, that it's like, <laughs> I promise, I promise. Um, but so is that the white ones or is it the, is it the other? Uh, like, you, you, like it's, oh no. Like it's like, once you get into like Latin America and you get into like the Hispanic Jesuses, they get really beautiful. So it's like, yeah, so, well, like what that story tells you is like she was a religious woman how does she act kind of like you know like that, that's how she kind of moved forward and that's that's a very humanizing story and i realized later my grandmother who was quite religious used to call me hollywood when i was a kid mm-hmm. which i thought was like maybe she thought i was cute and it was because she knew i was gay and mm-hmm. so it was her way of saying i i see you in a way wow. that so that's interesting that's an interesting way to approach it yeah yeah. And so, um, so that hits actually on one other chapter, Clarity, which mm-hmm. is really all about like, how do you talk normal? Like mm-hmm. you just lose the jargon and lose yeah. like, the, the fancy words. And like, it's just like, it's time to lose it. Um, which I think is I, Chris, one of the things you do really well. Oh, thank you. I hope so. I, I try. I try to do the best of whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing, whatever that is. And I'm not sure how I would identify it if I don't know what it is. So that makes nonsense what I just said. So I'm just sitting here thinking in my head, what the fuck am I talking about right now? But I'll take that compliment. I, I don't even Maybe know. Maybe you were just listening really well to me or something. So. <laughs> but no, I like this concept that you have. I, I think you did a TED Talk too, didn't you? About the, making conversation? Yeah. I haven't done a conversation yet, but I've done other TED Talks, and, 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 and we'll, we'll probably line up at making conversations. Yeah, so people in the audience can check that out as well. Um, but I like this idea of laying a foundation. It just occurred to me as we were talking that women are really good at this because when women really want to have a conversation with you, they go, we need to talk. And, like, <laughs> <clears throat> that's the moment that, like, I, I'd just soon go through, like, one of those Fargo – feed machines you know with my body (laughs) then have whatever that talk's going to be you know that talk that's the talk you got to listen to you got to pay attention yeah because that's 
that's some stuff you got to deal with. But no, I like, I like the foundation, maybe, maybe sitting down with people and coming up with agreement. Like let, let's, let's just role play here for a second. And I'm just testing out your theory. So you tell me if I'm doing it right, but maybe like, let's say we're on the opposing side of politics, which we are, but, but uh, at least that's my opinion. That's my feeling right now. Uh, But, but let's say that we're not, and and so I would sit down with you and go, hey, you know, Fred, I know that you like this president, and I like this president who's the opposing president, and uh, I'd really like to talk to you about politics or or um, or talk to you about this subject, maybe something. I don't know. Black light. Let's say Black Lives Matter. Let's, yeah. let's pull that one because that's a big yeah. thing that people are discussing. I like talking about Black Lives Matter, and I was wondering if maybe we could have a discussion without getting into the, the weeds of, uh, you know, all the different, you know. QAnon and you know, yeah. stupid stuff. Um, and so you lay a foundation where we, we try and come to agreement maybe first uh, before we have the conversation. You, you are right there. You're like, a, you're, yeah. a, you're an apt pupil in a good way. Like, so basically um, I have a chapter called constraints, which is basically the rules of conversation and mm-hmm. the premise is that you can set and reset the rules of conversation and you can set the rules so it can be safe for both people. So basically, and, and one of the things we often don't do is we don't think that there are rules to a conversation, but there are right. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're applied. And so you're, 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 you're like right there. And so that's a great example for me to tell you about how we ended duels um, around the world. Yeah. How Abraham Lincoln did. So, mm-hmm. so for duels, which have been around for, centuries and centuries like since the beginning of, of mankind um, and they sound like really hard conversations to have yeah exactly he, 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 humankind and they're like one person does win right totally and it's like usually like chris like it's like i offend you 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 challenge me to a duel and then we, we fight a duel and then one of us might die and that sucks um and so basically um there was a there's a there's a set of rules that <laughs> i mean i think it sucks it's, might be great a, for social media these days yeah exactly clean a lot totally. of shit up i know it's true so you set a rule and but the, but the thing is, there was a thing called Code Duello, and Code Duello governed the principles of how you would have a duel. And so that was pretty standardized. But then around the 1840s, people were like, you know, I kind of don't want to die. Like, it's like, it's like, so it's like, yeah, I have to accept a duel, but like, do I have to die? And so, so the new rule that they put into Code Duello was, I challenge you to a duel, Chris, but then I give you the rules. So you get to write the rules of the duel so that you can make it so that it's less likely that you're going to die. So the most famous duel that never happened was Abraham Lincoln was challenged to a duel by his friend, but his friend basically had to hand the rules over to Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. So Abraham Lincoln rewrote the rules and said they were going to shoot, they were going to, they were going to um, fight with war, civil war broadswords or not civil war, uh, revolutionary era, era um, broadswords because before the civil war and they were going to stay 12 feet apart. So it's like a, it's a basically a COVID safe duel. Oh. And, and they got to the dueling ground and it was so ridiculous because you realize you were never going to get close enough to actually hit the other person that they just burst into laughter. And then they were friends after that. Like they just went back and they, they drank. So <laughs> what's interesting. It's like a lot of work to go around, but I mean, yeah, at least you're alive, then, right? Ten years later, what what mm. replaces it is the Lincoln Douglas debates. So debates suddenly mm. replace duels, and I think what we've oh. sort of seen is that duel that um, debates have become like there's no, there are no rules anymore. Like mm. like like they they basically gotten rid of. I mean, the the, the Lincoln Douglas debates were like three days, really thorough, great, yeah. amazing conversation. Famous. Yeah, making it was making conversation, mm. like. If any debates you've seen recently, I don't know if you've seen any debates recently, um, 
they're they're ruleless. <laughs> if, if you haven't noticed, they're I, just. I think everyone just has to abide by the rules if, yeah. if people make that connection. You know, I well, that's good. I thought you were going to tell me about the most famous Abraham Lincoln duel was with John Wilkes Booth. Oh, too so, soon. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm that, sorry. He lost that duel, by the way. I know. I know. Way too soon. For those of you who may have not uh, read your history. Um, <laughs> that's a bad joke. That's really that bad. might not make it in like, editing. Like Chris, yeah, no, it's bad. Might be too soon. <laughs> but no, so debates. So is that where we really started becoming a society that debated then? Yeah, and well, actually, we, we've always been a society that debated. Um, I would say that there were a lot of debates that were. I mean, so ancient Greek society debated. It was done very well. Like it's like so. It's like it's always been in our in our DNA. And debate is like debate can be a good thing. It's like. Yeah. I, what, what really sort of degrade debates for us is the tele- televising debates, right? So we know the famous story about like, um, you know, Kennedy, the Kennedy-Nixon debates and, mm-hmm. and the fact that people who watched them on television like thought that Kennedy had won. But do you know that people who, who watched him on radio or listened to it on radio thought that mm-hmm. Nixon had won? Yep. So, so that's the beginning of the degradation, right? And then it's like you go to um, handing our, our dinner time over to, to TV, you know, and so suddenly we didn't have dinner time conversations. And then you, and to the point that now it's like, maybe the last thing you do in the morning or at night is, is watch TV or, and watch something mm-hmm. really terrible or the first thing you do in the morning. And it's like, um, that's really, we've been degrading conversation pretty much since the fifties, I would say. So would you say that's one of the problems we're having in our lives right now is number one, we don't know how to have good conversations or maybe communicate really well. And number two, we don't even listen if we do. That's totally, I mean, that's, that's like, that's entirely right. It's like, and, and there's so much stacked against us, really. I mean, like, I'll be, I'll give you an example. Like, um, one of the chapters is on context and it's basically about your space. So it's like, it's like the places that you have conversations in. And, um, what's interesting about that is that that seems irrelevant right now, right? Cause you might be like, well, well, nobody's having conversations in space, but, but the reality is we still are, you know, it's like, and so it used to be that I would say like, oh, clean up your table before you have a conversation. So like, so in the old days, it was like, it was like, before you sit down for a family meal, why don't you all set the table together? Because in essence, then you're all establishing the place where you're going to have dinner together, right? So it's like, it's like, and then you establish that you're all invested in the conversation and that you're all committed mm-hmm. by making the table. By, by, and, um, and, uh, and honestly, that's something that my husband and I do every night. We clear the table and make sure it's clear. We set the table and we, it helps us kind of establish the fact that we're putting our days behind us. And now we're going to just be there in conversation with each other. And um, that really helps. You know, it's really striking. I never really even thought of that, but my mom would make me and my brother, we were, you know, the two oldest kids and we, we had to set the table. So one of us would do the plates and the cups and the other one would do the silver. And this is back in the old days when people, like you say, would sit down and actually eat together and, you know, not look at their phones because we didn't have phones. Um, I, do you think that, do you think that this era where we're doing this all the time, looking at our phones has been a real crippler to what you're talking about. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I sort of feel like, I mean, it's a really interesting thing because I, I was one to argue that it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't really phones. It was just kind of the advent of television. It was a bunch of other things mm-hmm. that gradually kind of eroded conversation in America. So I, I feel like we've been on a long arc for this, mm-hmm. um, but then I think I, I'm sure you've all had this moment where 
sometime during the last nine months, you just basically kind of got lost in your phone standing in the middle of your kitchen like a zombie, right? Like just kind of totally out of it. Were you saying something, Fred? I was looking at me. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's exactly right. And so, so, I mean, and that still happens. Like, like I'll, I'll lose. We, we have some, somebody here who's, 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 who's painting the house. I'm like, I watch him just kind of like suddenly lose himself in his phone. And he's just kind of like staring like into, into space. Yeah. It's, it's really problematic. Like, it's like, you need, you need to put the devices away like at dinner time. Like, it's just like, if you always have had to, and like, you, you or like, or if you're, if you're talking to your Biden or Trump voting neighbor um, and you want to kind of make sure you're focused, just don't bring your phone at all. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like that said, Chris, a lot of important conversations right now are happening via text. You know, it's like, it's like, I mean, we're having, we're having hard, good conversations through technology, you know? And so it's like, so it's like, don't isolate yourself. Like, but I mean, I'm definitely not like voting for isolation. I'm just like, but it's like, but, but, you know, be careful. Like if you can give real attention, do. Just before the show, I was having a really important texting conversation on OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had to get that joke in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. But, you know, I watched, I, I kind of came of age after the recession, wiped out my businesses with Twitter and social media. I was one of the early adopters of it. And, and so a lot of the last 10 years have been talking about social media and back when it was in the kumbaya era, it's yeah. certainly taken a dark turn. And, and I remember noticing one of the, one of the things that used to depress me is I would go into like a restaurant and I would see a family of four, two kids and, and they'd be eating and every one of them be look at their phones. There wouldn't be no conversation. Yeah, I know. And I would see young people, you know, you or I are probably old enough to have grown up where like the only thing I had at 11 years old was dirt clods to throw against the house wall and we could (laughs) venturing in fields and build clubhouses and stuff. And, uh, you know, now kids don't even go outside and if you see them, they're just like, I know, I know. Well, but Chris, I'll give you, I'll give you hope. Like I'm in a very rural community. Right. And, and like, just seeing, just give you a sense. Our community hasn't had any cases that we know of and there's been no deaths so it's like it's maine it's like i'm it's, moving to maine then yeah if, if, if you look at maine like it's like maine's maine's, maine's got this they're, they're mostly doing, i'll come for the lobster though really i i, I got them for you like it's like i, I got a trap down there with 10 one and they, they oh, cost dude, you're four making me hungry man four bucks here like it's like just four like, bucks for a just, lobster I'll, I'll make I'll make you lobster. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm on my way. Yeah, <laughs> my, my lobster guy is like is awesome. Not not to mention he's he's, he's pretty hot. Yeah. It's like um, but but basically like <laughs> I have um, but here it's you you wouldn't know that it's the twenty what is it the twenty first century is like you you wouldn't know because it's like no no kids have phones. They're all playing. Oh. Like it's oh. like like we come into town and like we get swamped by the kids and like the kids are like. Hey, go see my dad in the boat shop. He wants to talk to you about something. Or like, are you or Fred, you need to do this. Like they all know each other. They're all playing like hide and seek constantly. Like it's really weird. I came into town the other day and I was like, why are all those kids like trying to find that a place to hide? Is there like is there like, you know, I don't I was thought about the worst. I was like, is, there, is there, are we about to see a school shooting or something? I mean, it's like and they were just playing hide and seek. And I was just like, I don't think I'd seen a hide and seek for like, you know, since I would I played it when I was a kid. So yeah. it's like a it's a really different different moment here it's like and, and i gotta cool say like some kids r- rural's got this yeah yes i mean it's like they, you, you may not think that um 
but 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 they, they they've been they've been doing pretty good. <laughs> so. so your book explores one of the challenges that that I've had in ways that I've tried to figure out how to crack the nut, especially of like, I mean, there's all sorts of hard discussions you can have, whether you're coming out to a parent, that's a definitely a challenging thing. Uh, religion. I grew up uh, in a cult and wanted to leave it and, uh, and having conversations with your parents where you're like, I don't want to do your thing anymore. It's cool for you, but I don't want to do it anymore. Um, and we still have hard times talking religion and I'm an atheist. So those to make hard conversations politics make hard conversations of course especially nowadays um sometimes social aspects a lot of people argue about black lives matter racism um you know there's 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 a whole host of these different things that we have a hard time with um and one of the things i've tried to do especially with politics or racism is try and get down to what the core is because I realize there's a core there somewhere and a lot of these beliefs are built upon those cores. Yeah. So I imagine when you agree or you try and ha- say, okay, well, let's have a conversation about this. It, so it's probably really important on those rules that you're talking about to say, okay, what are the rules? Because one of the problems I have with, it's kind of like monkey fleeing shit at the zoo. If you right. ever heard of that, it never happened to me. For some reason, I always skip zoo day, but <laughs> I would always hear about the monkey shit fleeing afterwards. But the the problem you have with like politics is like, okay, let's say we want to talk about the opposing presidents, and we want to talk about Black Lives Matter, and then suddenly you start throwing like QAnon in, and then you throw in, well, they did this, and that guy did this, and that guy did this, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa those these are outside the rules. We're gonna we're not going to cuz cuz at that point you can't you can't have the argument because then you're just you know you might as well just start yeah, and that's one time in band camp sort of stuff yeah i mean it's like it's like i think and i would love to hear more about the cult i'm fascinated by cults but the, the reality is like i'm not like, not a good way just more like like it's it's crazy but but I feel like that's that's right. And that's the place where, again, you go back to asking for the conversation you want. Like, it's like, if you can't have the conversation you want, then put it away for the moment and have it, like, next week. You know, it's like, is this one of the things that you do? And so is that the polite way to approach it and say, look, I think that our agreement to the conversation, the rules that we've established yeah. are getting so, out of hand, and I don't think we're being constructive and we're being destructive with each other's race, and I care about you, so why don't we... Yeah, let's put let's put it aside. We'll, we'll talk next week, or we'll, we'll talk about we'll yeah. talk about something else. You know. I think that's a really important aspect because sometimes when people get into conversations, they're like, "I will you to be my way, and we will not finish until that's, I have converted you to whatever." That's you totally know. right, and it's like that's why it's like it's totally okay to stop. I mean, one of the things that I'll often do is is ask people to just put time limits on a conversation, like just basically oh, say, that's really good. You know, it's like this is gonna be a thirty minute conversation, or it's gonna be a thirty minute conversation, and we're gonna we're going to be quiet for the at, at minute 20 for a minute, just to kind of think about what we're thinking, what we're, what we're dealing with. So it's like, so there's a lot of really simple ways you can do hmm. this by, by time bounding, like time bounding is it's a rule, right? So if you, if yeah. you say, if you say we, we have 30 minutes, you've established a rule. You're saying like, it's going to end, even if it's insufferable and hard, it's going to be over, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, and, and that, that, that makes it a little bit easier to have, to have the conversation. So, um, there's so many different ways you can actually constrain. And this is, Chris, this is ultimately the point of the book, which is that just get creative. Like, think about it. Like, I'll ask you I, I like how you've kind of taken it out of the box. Sorry for interrupting yeah, you, but no. I like how you've taken it out of the box and deconstructed it and gone, you know, because everyone just wants to be like, ram my opinion down your throat and you, somehow you're going to agree with me at the end. But yeah. because I'm ramming it, it's probably not going to end well. 
No, that's, that's exactly right. And so he realizes that it's like, you know, if you can, if you can, you know, do something else and like, if, if you can bake bread or do something else and you can actually like, you can actually make a conversation and you can make a conversation that works. It's like, it, it really, it's just like, it's just like step one step outside of, 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 of the box is, 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 it's a great way to put it, Chris. I, I like this idea. I'm going to look forward to reading the book. The, um, cause I, I really thought about doing it. I mean, women are really good at this. Women are, I mean, really good at this. They, they sit you down and they go, and you'll be at work or something and they'll call you and they go, Hey, how's it going? Yeah, fine. And they're like, uh, Hey, when you come home tonight, we get to talk and like the dread you're just I, like, well, Chris, here's the thing I learned. I learned, I learned how to, um, make, how to listen, how to creatively listen from my mom. <clears throat> Because my mom was a really good listener. Like she was one of those people who like strangers would walk up to her on the street and just like start talking to her. They want like sleep. They wanted to tell her a story, which I have a little bit as well. I think it's like, I think they call it the resting nice face. Cause it's like, it just looks like I'll talk to you. And so I just, and I've gotten used to having conversations with everybody all the time. You know, it's like, but it's worth it. I mean, I've gotten some of my most valuable writing tips from Uber drivers. You know, it's just really? like, yeah. Oh yeah. My, my fav- my best writing tip was, a young black woman in Los Angeles who had moved there because she wanted to get, she, she, she grew up Catholic, but we, she, we had a great conversation and she basically, or, or Baptist. And she was like, I want more religious values in television. So I want to get into the writer's room. And she at some point was like, I, we were talking about writer's block. And she's like, there's no such thing as writer's block. If you, if you can't write, then you're just writing in the wrong place. Go to something else, which she had actually taken from Shonda Rhimes um, masterclass. The person who, um, I can't remember the, now I can't remember what, what Shonda Rhimes did, but all, all those amazing movie, uh, TV shows. And I was like, that's the best piece of advice I ever got um, on writing. And it was from like an Uber driver in Los Angeles. So like, just talk to people. It's worth it. Like it's, we're, we're put on earth to do that, Chris. It's, do we have to, I don't know if you talk about this in the book, do we, but do we have to kind of come to a conclusion in and of ourselves before we start selling to other people that we're, that we should be curious about one another, that we should, that we care about one another and that we want to have that conversation. Um, but, but that we the value the other person, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it, it has to, it has to be the case. Like, it's like, I, like I said, it's, it's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, it's like, it's like, I mean, like, if you, if you don't want to do that, then like, then question why, why, why be on earth at all? Like, it's like, it's like, I mean, my feeling, Chris, and this is partially because, you know, I'll be honest, my mother had a stroke that debilitated her at 24. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I, was 20, when I was 24. And mm-hmm. so you kind of when you realize that you live with a, perhaps a time limit on your life very young, like, because her dad, her dad died when he was 30. So I've always been sure I would die. I'd be dead by now. Um, I basically, it makes you reevaluate the way you think about your life. And I was just like, I'm doing it all. Like, it's like, I'm going to go everywhere. I'm going to talk to everyone. I'm going to try, try loving everyone if I can, like just really kind of come, come to things from, a, from an attitude of love. And it's changed my life. It's given me a much better life, frankly. So, yeah. I, 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 I'm the same way I grew up from the way I grew up. I've always questioned everything. I don't know. I was, I was from three years old. I was that guy who was like, I don't know about what you're telling me. What's going on there? <laughs> and uh, and then asking the questions and, you know, always being told, just you ask stupid questions. Go just you have to have faith in Jesus and you'll be fine. And you're just like, yeah. well, I don't know. I got some questions, man. I want them answered. And until <laughs> until you answer my questions, I'm not buying. You know, I just some reason I was born with the uh, what what is the 
uh, doubt the man or whatever. Yeah. Oh my God. It's totally right. <laughs> Question it's- authority. But then also I'm innately curious about people. Like I like stories. And part of that comes from my upbringing where I question everything and I, I question why people do things, why people believe, why do you believe in a certain deity? Why do you believe in little green Martians are running around or lizard people? Why do people believe what they believe? What, whatever it is, you know, yeah. um, whether they, you know, whether they, they're in love or not or whether their marriage works or not or whatever whatever sort of bs they con themselves into and we're all guilty of doing it but but it's always interesting to me the 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 way people believe things um but and so i i'm just innately curious i've always been a story collector but i don't don't know if a lot of people are that way but maybe reading their book they should think about it from that angle i i think so chris i mean it's like I'm guessing that you kind of collecting those stories is what you've done so brilliantly through your own work is like, is, um, is really about like, it's like opening up and giving people like new kind of bits of joy by kind of of getting those stories out there or or sorrow um, or, you know, or whatever. And it's like, and I just feel like a lot more, like I I live a fuller life because I just, I want to hear people's stories. And so I, I think, and you're doing it. It's, it's what the book does. Like, it's like, it's, it's like, you know, I, I'm like telling so many different stories about different people and um, whether it's like a farmer in Peru who stopped domestic violence in her village or whether it's like a, a very religious women's book club about um, sex, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like, how are people having the hardest conversations and what are they using to, to make that happen? You've given me a good toolbox, and I'll give you an example because it's probably good for our audience as well. This happened to me this morning just before we went on the podcast. I was having a conversation with somebody who's very religious, and they want to tell me some of the things their religious people are saying. And I responded with, um, I don't know, but that that sounds like it's very anti-Black Lives Matter because it sounds very All Lives Matter conversation. And right away the the conversation is being shut down um, and closed off. And maybe the way I should have approached that was, are we going to have, do you want to have an open conversation about this? Are you willing to listen or not? And that may have been a way, a better way to approach that because then there might, there, there would have been a decision made either way, which would have been fine either way. But certainly by me just going headlong into it and, and assuming that, Okay, so we're gonna have this conversation because you're opening up this yep. this conversation to me. You must be willing to listen. And then I hit a wall and found out that person didn't want to listen that I love. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you want to break that down or or, I, I, or... Well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna break it down by telling you a different story, but, but it's it's very similar. Which is that I I was once approached by a um a, a, a very a black activist group that I really respect and um. And somebody who was in their leadership basically was like, we really want your advice and your, and your thinking, but just so you know, because you're a white man, we may not listen to you. Um, and, and I, I was like, I'm being serious. I mean, this was over drinks. Yeah, like, yeah. like, and, and, and I, I was like, I was like, Hmm. Yeah. That, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> it was like the, that it's like that you're, you're asking my advice and like, and yet you're, you're just telling me right up front that you might not listen to me. And she said, and she was right. She was like, you know nothing about the systemic genocide of black men. This was at that point. It was it was it was mostly focused around the death of black men, as you as we know, like which was epidemic. Um, and it's, it's horrific. And so I said, well, let me just tell you a story, which is that I was a gay man growing up in the eighties um, when HIV/AIDS terrified us, 
And what did we call HIV AIDS? We called it genocide um, of, of gay people. That, that's actually what we referred to it. And so actually, sorry, I have to do some computer thing. Actually, um, uh, I, that changed everything. Like, because she was like, I didn't know about that. And I was like, well, let's talk about that. And let's talk about why the fact that there's very few gay men of my generation, like who, who are left in, in, in whatever. And, and the reason you don't know this story is because so many people have died. You know, it's like, and, and it took us a while. It wasn't immediate, but I would say over like, um, over a year, we became quite close. And like, she and I communicate all the time now. And it's like, and, and I, I really respect that relationship. It took a while, Chris, to build that relationship. So it's kind of the counter. It's like, it's like, it's like, you know, here's a situation where somebody was sort of saying like, no, not so much you. And I'm like, no, come on, let's, let's, let's get to a place where we can actually have a real conversation. And so would you call that a negotiation and an agreement? It's a negotiation, right? There, there we go. Given, given that there's a, there's another Chris out there, but it's a, <laughs> you're, you're, I, 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 I like you a lot. I like, I think I like you, like you better, but it's like, um, but you don't um, have to like me better. You can just like me. <laughs> I just, I just like you, but it's like, I hate so, the other guy, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. But so basically, but I've um, tried to have a conversation with him. There you go. Just so you, you, you did, you did the right thing, but it's like, uh, um, but I feel like, you know, my, my feeling is, um, yeah, it was a bit of a negotiation. And even to this day, like, she's like, Oh, I'm going to my, um, black, black, um, book group. And I'm like, I want to go. And she's like, you can't, you're not black. It's like, and I'm like, oh, right. Okay. So it's like, we, we have to kind of course correct with each other pretty much constantly, but, but I like really respect that. Like, it's like, and I like that, that she's willing to do that. And like, I'm willing to do that. And we're just like, we're in it. And it's like, it's, it's, by the way, Chris, it's work, you know, it's like, it's like, it's, it, it takes, it takes an effort, but it's, but there's so much reward that comes out of it. So I'm, I'm and maybe that's our problem nowadays. We just want to, we don't want to put in the work maybe. I, I, I think that's exact, exactly right. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's interesting that one, one of the people, one of the stories I tell in the book is about a, a school for um, addicted kids where um, an addiction nowadays, by the way, looks different. It's like addicted to porn. It's addicted to like, you know, cutting themselves. It's addicted to like, it's like, like whenever, when I would talk to teachers, they were like, I wish we had old school addicts. We have, we have like, these, these addicts are entirely different. Like they're, the boys have fallen into themselves. So like they're, they're like, they're basically deep introverts, things like that. Cells and everything. Yeah. yeah. And I come from Vegas. <laughs> I know addiction. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the one thing I just don't do. Like I, I just don't gamble. We, just, we, we have everything in Vegas though. I mean, it's Sin City. It, yeah, whatever your vice is, we got it for you. It, it is not a joke. You are, you are entirely right. So it's like, it's so funny because I used to give lectures in, in Vegas all the time. And I'm like, I'm like, whoa. Um, but, but what's interesting is that it's like they – that school that they went to and they could leave at any moment. So it wasn't like a, a lockdown camp. It was like, they could go anytime, but if they were there, they had to commit to the rules of the conversation and commit to having a conversation and talk about work. Like these are like 12 to 16 year old kids or like, you know, 14 to eight to 16. And like, they're doing the hardest work of their lives, like trying to kind of like get through addiction and then, and have the hardest conversations of their lives all using rules. Like it's like, it's pretty powerful. I have to say. It's it's amazing. Addiction really is a lifelong thing. People that have addictive personalities and and stuff. I don't think that, I don't think you'd ever really overcome it. You can manage it, but you know, like I have a lot of friends and you know, they've done 12 step programs and change your life and sober living and stuff. Um, and most people I knew in Vegas, I mean, 
I knew people that, you know, whether it was gambling addiction or drug addiction or, or, uh, you name it, Vegas is Vegas. Um, you, you'd see it. And usually what I found too, is a lot of people who had addictive personalities, sometimes they'd row from different things, you know, it'd be alcoholism for a few years and then it'd be smoking or drinking or drugs or gambling and, you know, pick your poison. But so it was always in the vein of addiction. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it's like um, AA is a form of constructed conversation. It's like, it's basically a good example of making conversation. It's like, you know, like 12 steps gives you a, gives you a rule. Like, it's like, I, I, I have a lot of friends who are, who are in AA and um, like uh, I've, I have family members who are, who are in AA. And what's interesting is that they, they will say that they like, that you can drop into an AA meeting anywhere in the world at any moment. And you're going to always feel safe in that room um, because the, the rules are kind of well articulated for how you actually engage in, in an AA meeting. And so it's like, it, it was a remarkably inspiring um, example for me for that matter, like weight watchers um, is a, is a people who, who are really into weight watchers say the same thing. Like, it's like, you can drop into a weight watchers meeting anywhere and it's going to, it's going to feel safe and constructed. And so, so we see, that's the, that's the point, Chris, there's examples all around us that if we just look, we can say, wait a second, how does AA do it? How does, how does weight watchers do it? Like, it's like, and you can bring that into your life and like, just don't, don't feel constrained. Like just everything can be inspiring. It's good to know. I wouldn't, I clearly wouldn't know what Weight Watchers conversations are like. Uh, <laughs> you watch the video, know what I'm talking well, read, about. Read, read the book. It'll tell you about how it is. There you go. <laughs> uh, so I, I, do you talk in the book about how important listening is and, and to be able to have the banter of engagement? Like I've always been a person who really likes debates. Like Christopher Hitchens is one of my favorite debaters. Yeah. Uh, we've talked a lot in recent years and we've had some great authors on about the, the, um, the, the famous, uh, Baldwin, um, I'm going to blank on this, uh, and the, and the, you know, the one I'm talking about, yeah. James yeah. Baldwin and, yeah. and William F. Buckley Jr. Um, and there were, there were rules in those debates. There's, there's usually banter where one person says something, and then the other person says something and then, uh, you know, something happens. Is, do you talk about that in your book? I, I, I do. I mean, it's, it's funny. Cause it's like, it's like, I, I think I, I have a nuanced feeling about debate, but I, I feel like when done well, like what the example you gave, they're beautiful things, right? Yeah. Like, like, it's like you know, where, where they're done with civility and respect and a, and a kind of humor and kind of find, finding where somebody is and, and that's really where debate was, you know, it's like, I think that there's just a variety of kinds of debate, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, there's like, there's debate clubs, which can be good. But as you know, there's also debate clubs where it's like, it's just about talking as fast as you possibly can, you know, it's yeah. like, and like making, making an argument that like, is just like, and so it really depends on the kind of debate. Um, but, but listening though, I mean, how important is like listening in the debate to, to like listen to the other person and go, well, so that, that's a great example. If you look at some of the evolution of debate clubs now, like the, many of them aren't about listening. Like it's like they're, they're about just kind of making as many points and, and giving you as much facts as they can. But, but then there are others that are that, you know, so, and there's a really interesting movement even in debate clubs where there's protest debates. So like there's a, there's a university up here somewhere where like, uh, oh shoot, I can't, I, it's just my tongue, but basically where, where their debate club just basically sings. Like, like the, their argument will be like a little we'll, we'll sing. You, you know, have to sing the argument? 
Yeah, yeah. It's like, and like, and they lose the debate every single time, but they're like, I don't care. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm, I'm, I, we're still going to do it. It's like, and there's debate clubs that rap, you know, it's like, and it's like, they probably lose the argument every time, but it's like, but like, they, they, but they, they're they like, we don't care. That, that That's how we're showing up. And so, you know, the reality is like, there's a bunch of different ways to do this. You know, it's like, like, I mean, I, I think, my favorite conversation of the year right now, the one that, that I think really wins, you know, who wins for me? And this is going to be, you're going to laugh, but Taylor Swift. Like, so Taylor Swift is my spirit animal. You need to know that. So it's like, but, but Taylor Swift, you know, does this amazing album, Folklore. And then she goes on the country music um, awards and we, we expect her to take down her fans and basically say, you have to stop voting for Trump or you have to stop kind of not believing COVID happens. And what does she do instead? She takes a song from that album and she countrifies it. And basically in singing that song in a country way, like she's basically saying to her fans, I still love you. You're still my fans. Like, and it's like, and I still, I like, I'm coming back to you. And it's like, it was, I would watch it if you haven't watched it, Chris. It's like stunning. It's like, it's one of the most moving conversations that I've seen um, like in a, in a long, in a long, long time. And, ta- and then, then Taylor's songs get stolen by different people. And they reinterpret it, you know, from the perspective of whatever, wherever they're coming from. And she's like, thank you. I love this. I love this interpretation. When we know how she feels about music rights, right? So Yeah. Yeah. And her her prior library. Yeah. yeah. And so she's really like, she's doing it as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. It's like, and I don't know, there's surprising, surprisingly good places where conversations are happening that you might not notice at our conversations right now. Yeah. The, um, and maybe that's what we need to focus on, the importance of conversations, the the value in them. Um, listening is really important, uh, getting away distractions. When I used to be able to go to lunch with my friends or coffee or whatever, um, I would always put my phone down. My rule was, I didn't make it their rule. I mean, I, I didn't push my thing on other people, but I tried to lead by example, if you would. Yeah. But I always put my phone in and turn it off. Um, and, and I would try very hard not to pick it up because there's yeah. something about when, when, you know, I mean, I think of it as me putting up a barrier between you and I, when I do okay. this I think that's and, right. and it's basically saying like, I find that what you're doing is not as interesting as this. And so therefore I am this fuck you. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, and maybe, and fortunately for me, I come, you know, you and I come from generations where we didn't have phones and we actually had conversations. Uh, in fact, I was watching the social dilemma. I think it is on Netflix. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got around to that. It's queued up if I can ever get some screen time that isn't. <laughs> yeah. If you get a chance to watch it, but there's a scene in there where the mom says, Hey, we're all going to put our phones away in a box and we're going to actually have a dinner conversation and people don't know how to do that they were yeah. it's, it's an interesting play out in the it's, drama no it's, it's really it's funny I, I i was i was at a place where that was premiering and i wanted to see it but it's like i, I definitely want to watch it everybody keeps being like this is like this is like so core to your to your your work and i i'm so I, I need to do it i just like i honestly chris like i've been looking at screens so much that it's like i i just i can't get to the end of the day and be like i'm gonna go to my own tv so it's like there you that. go I have to do it. I have to make it like part of my work day, I think is the right thing to do. But a lot of people, they don't know how to have a conversation. I mean, yeah. they don't, and I don't think they know how to listen either. Yeah. And, I, you know, I almost you, uh, just had kind of an epiphany. A lot of people don't know how to do stories. Maybe that's because they're not innately curious either. I agree. And, you know, I have, I have like four rules of, of how to tell the perfect 
30 second story, um, mm-hmm. which, which I'm going to have to go soon. So can I, can I tell you that? And then is it, is it, is yeah. that a, okay, yeah. cool. I, I, like, um, so the, the four, the four rules are take your story and make it as short as you possibly can. Like think back to my grandmother's story about seeing Jesus. Right. And, um, uh, like, now I, know, I can't remember what they are, but so that, that's the first one. The, the, the second one is, um, is make a story that reveals something about you. So it, it reveals something kind of personal, which again, my grandmother's story revealed that she was like religious. Um, um, stop where the, where the, I mean, like basically stop your story where it begins. So my grandmother like sees Jesus and then what? We don't know. Like then, then what happens to her? Does she, what, what does she do in her life? What does, is there any blame? So, so you kind of like leave people in anticipation and they don't quite know. And then the last one is end with a twist. Like, it's got to be a surprise. It's like why we love Dark Mirror. It's why we like, you know, reading like twisty science fiction or Ray Bradbury or any of those things is like, there's always a surprise ending. And so, you know, something blue is coming down out of the sky. The last thing you think it is, is like, it's Jesus, you know, like, he's going to like, you know, you know, give my, my grandmother a thumbs up. And so it's like, but that, that, that's a great example. Like last night I was, a, I was at dinner and I told somebody a story about how, um, how I was, driving out of a really very wealthy friend's house in the Dominican and I was kidnapped by the police um, and held in a, in a yard and she had to use the militia to get us out. And that's it. That's the story. <laughs> it's like, and that's, and that's a true story. Really? Uh-huh. It's a true story. And I'm not, I'm not, uh-huh. not going to tell you anything more about it, but it's like pretty intriguing. Right. And, yeah. and they, they were like, you just did that thing with the story. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I, <laughs> that's, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and we'll wrap up here, but uh you know, I it, I just had a kind of a, a a light bulb that went on. We used to, as a society, when, before we had TV and before we had radio and all these stupid gadgets, we would entertain each other around the table and right. we would tell stories and we would, you know, act out scenes or do laughter or play music, but we would take turns entertaining each other. Like I remember as a kid, sometimes when we'd have our little family reunions, people would go up and, you know, we we kind of take turns doing stuff to entertain each other and tell stories. And I remember years ago, you know, I've always been a story collector and I, 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 you know, owning lots of businesses, having hundreds of employees, I come home every day with stories and be like, you won't believe what this employee did today. And, and I've always just had piles of stories. And I remember I had this one girlfriend who dated, she was really nice, but she, she worked for the airlines. And so she would travel to three cities in a day, meet hundreds of people. Yeah. And I'd be like, so what happened to you today? You know, I get done telling my stories and I'd be like, what happened to you? And she'd be like, nothing. I'd be, like, <laughs> I'd be like, what? Like you, you traveled like half the nation while I've yeah. been at work and you've met hundreds of people and been in cities and nothing like <laughs> there was nothing. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so maybe we just need to relearn that and, and I, I focus on that. True. You know, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll end with the last thing, which is that like our, when we were on our farm for a while, we used to not have Wi-Fi, but, and we did that on purpose so that when people would come over, um, what happens when you're sitting on the table? Like you know, when you'd be like, "Oh, remember this actor?" and you would say their name, and they'd be like, "I think so," but then you can't Google it, and so basically, <laughs> what would happen is like, every people would start making shit up. Like they, they would, they would basically be like, they would be like, sorry, I don't know if I can say that, but basically they would they'd be, like, yeah. they'd be like, oh yeah, it's like, um, I think that they were in Gilligan's Island and da, da, and like, it's all wrong. You know, it's like, and it, what, it really wouldn't be until the weekend was over and we were driving back and we finally got like a signal that you Google and you'd be like, oh wait, we made everything up. Like, but 
But that was like way more fun. The stories are probably better, actually, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. They were, it was way more fun than basically actually knowing the facts. So, so I, let, let, maybe we, we end with that. Yes. Like, just there like turn off the phone and don't Google it and just make it up if you need to. Focus on stories and focus on human beings. So, there you go, guys. The conversation with Fred Dust. His book coming out December 1st, 2020 is Making Conversation Seven Essential Elements of Meaningful Conversation. Uh, I'm sorry, communication. Let me read you that. Making conversations, seven essential elements of meaningful communication. Fred Dust, you can find him uh, on Amazon or anywhere booksellers are going to put in where you can put in to pre-order the book. Give us your .com where people can find you on the interwebs. Yeah, it's makingconversation.com and then go to amazon.com and pre-order. It really, it's really important. Thank you you so much. I appreciate it. This was Pick fun. it up, guys. I think this is going to be really important because uh, we're going to be having a lot of conversations, I think, regardless of how the future comes out. And we're all stuck at home living with each other right now, so we have to actually talk to each other or try to. Uh, so check it out, guys. Order up the book. Uh, thanks to Fred for being with us on the show today. Thank you very much, Fred, for being here. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And uh, to my audience, uh, stay safe, register to vote. We'll see you guys next time.